0: I'm Nikki Hancock's editor of Nutri-Ingredients and welcome to this podcast in which I'm speaking for a second time to Lee Gray, Director of Business Development at Rubicon Bridge. When I last spoke to Lee back in July, he told us about how Rubicon Bridge streamlines the regulatory compliance process for companies looking to expand overseas. He explained that many health and nutrition brands are keen to sell their products across multiple countries, but this can be a long-winded process as each country has got its own national laws regarding nutrition recommendations, health claims, and on-pack warnings. So Rubicon Bridge really streamlines that somewhat painful process, so clients no longer have to check every single ingredient against every regulation in every country. Instead, it turns that process that can take months or even years into a matter of minutes, and that's all with the use of an online AI tool. So we spoke about Amazon as a platform and what a huge opportunity this is for brands, especially within Europe, where there's plenty of room for growth. Lee also explained that the platform has a reputation for being a challenge to get onto, not because it's excessively strict, but because it ensures brands provide upfront evidence of regulatory compliance in the countries that they're looking to sell within. So essentially, Amazon is just doing the work of regulators in many countries more thoroughly than the regulators themselves, perhaps. So Lee provided some fantastic insights, but we only really scratched the surface. It's a real pleasure to introduce you back uh, to the podcast, Lee.
1: Thank you, Nikki, and uh, thanks for having me back again. It's a real pleasure for me also.
0: Great. Yeah, it's really good to be able to delve in more depth uh, to this topic. I think it was of great interest, so we'll get straight to it now i know since we last spoke in july your team has been expanding its presence in the UK, in the u.s so could you tell me about what you've learned about the u.s market and how it compares to the european market since since you've been having conversations with brands over there
1: sure yeah so um we regularly attend shows in the u.s and we have been doing so for years but certainly in the last six months a year or so we've seen um a real uptick in terms of interest from dietary supplement brands who are looking to come to the UK and European markets. Um, I think some of that is that between 2019 and 2020 there was massive growth in that industry in the US. Uh, I think it was something like 14.5 percent which is huge Um, and obviously there are reasons that we both know why people were kind of um, investing more in particular Vitamins and minerals during that time. There was uh, a lot of focus around immunity, and we were uh, a lot of us were stuck at home for a long period. So that kind of drove this this huge spike um, in the industry. Um, however, since then, the industry, the U.S. industry, is actually only predicted to grow between three and four percent between uh, 2020 and 2025. So, what they're seeing is kind of a leveling out. And that has kind of led to these American brands, who you can imagine, like trying to plan manufacturing is, you know, it's a pretty complicated process in general. But imagine that you've got a business, and all of a sudden your um, your volume year year is just like spiked through the roof. You have to plan for that, and it caused a lot of headaches at the time. It caused headaches for uh, European manufacturers as well they had to source different ingredients because things like vitamin d for example was finally sought after but as kind of a consequence from some of the conversations that we've been having with those brands and manufacturers from the us there they've kind of produced lots and lots of stock um, expecting that volume to kind of continue to step up year on year and obviously it, it hasn't quite done that Still, yeah, a huge market, um, and still in healthy growth. Just not like the the levels that we saw back between 2019 and 2020. And the UK and Europe in general um, is is a really interesting proposition for US dietary supplement brands. From from their perspective, obviously, it's quite it's a relatively large market combined the uh, European um, Amazon websites, for example, the second biggest region for Amazon globally. And some of those countries, e-commerce is really well established, like Germany, the UK, Italy, they have really quite big markets. So if you're a US brand and you're looking to grow internationally, it kind of just makes sense to look at those markets. But also from a consumer perspective, There are brands that, you know, it's not it's not that U.S. brands have started coming to the UK and Europe like for the first time in the last couple of months. That's obviously been happening decades. Um, Lots of brands have already made that shift and lots of brands have made that shift and done really, really well. And I think that speaks to an appetite from the European consumer for the U.S. dietary supplements.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Interesting. And can you tell me about the types of products that you're seeing being sold from over there to here and sort of what that tells us about consumer trends that are likely to move over to Europe
1: yeah so um it's really it's so much fun speaking to a US brand because I think it's generally well known or established that they they tend to be a bit ahead of us in terms of trends mm-hmm. um so actually it's really fun just speaking to them understanding their products um and also just like it might sound a bit sappy, but just knowing that you're going to be a small part of helping bring those mar- uh, products to market for the first time is really exciting for us. One of the trends that we've seen is we always kind of looked at sports nutrition and VMS as kind of two separate categories. And VMS being like vitamins, minerals and supplements being largely like health focused and sports nutrition being mostly performance focused. And actually, I, d- I don't know whether it's just more and more understanding about um, nutritional uh, products but what we've seen is kind of a crossover emerging of those two categories so some of the US brands that we've helped come over to the UK and the EU the reason why they're doing particularly well is that they've kind of merged the two categories in the sense of they're offering a sports nutrition product that is health promoting Yeah, because ultimately that does lead to a sports performance benefit as well. So that that's one really interesting trend that we've seen. Um, likewise, kind of European brands that we've helped go over to the US. Um, the US love a story. They love um, credentials. They love brands that are rich in terms of their history. So like brands that have been long established that have a really great story and when I say story I mean like they they have a business that's maybe built around practitioners that's grown Um, so they kind of have that expertise in-house and then they've built a brand around it those types of brands seem to like really resonate with the American customers for you know whatever reason that is.
0: Yeah it's a really good point that you make about this merging of sports nutrition and MS and uh, a lot of brands really trying to figure out how to make the most of that trend because obviously it's a huge opportunity here for brands to start to appeal to a wider audience of consumers by sort of diversifying their health targets and their products on offer. But um, you don't want to do this to too large degree and then lose your focus.
1: Yeah, it can be, I imagine like from a brand perspective, it can be seen as maybe being a bit convoluting to your range Um, but I think there are lessons that both industries can learn from one another so I think like if you take protein for example that's been a real trend um, in the in Europe over the last few years both in food and in food supplements Um, and that's because there are genuine health benefits to consuming more protein safely and it's undeniable that that protein trend started in sports nutrition decades and decades again Ago. So it, it's really interesting because it was used uh, in sports nutrition for a very deliberate purpose which fundamentally was like building muscle, um, but that benefit of building muscle and the health consequences of that are being like understood particularly more in the elderly. So it kind of makes sense that if you're a brand that's very health and care focused, you would be venturing into those types of products.
0: I'm interested to hear about um, your advice and to companies that are looking to um expand either from the Europe over to the US or vice versa. Where do your conversations start?
1: Unfortunately, often a little bit too late um, because it's not uncommon for if you take the scenario of um maybe a US brand that's looking to come to Europe for the first time they do all their homework they do all their customer research they identify products that they think are going to work in those markets and they have a rough idea on volumes and what it could do it's quite often that they won't engage with us or with uh, another regulatory uh, consultancy to actually look at the both the regulatory requirements but also amazon's requirements for launching those products so too often that happens just a little bit too late the best time is when you're like in the infancy of that idea of growing internationally. It's worth at that point just understanding all of the requirements that you're going to have to comply with, both from a regulatory perspective, but also from an Amazon-specific perspective. And then also doing some upfront checks on your products to make sure that you're not going to waste energy on products that aren't viable in any of those countries.
0: Yeah good point so what sort of mistakes do you tend to see brands making then?
1: so specific to amazon i think it's probably not well known that food supplements are treated as a restricted product category meaning that you need to provide evidence of compliance before you go to market Mm -hmm. that information is out there you can find it on amazon seller help pages but for whatever reason it tends to get missed so You really need to know if you're going into a new country, what are Amazon's specific requirements for that country? And the good thing is that, you know, pretty much in line with the national requirements as well. So in terms of what is required of a brand when they're going into either the UK or one of the EU markets, there's always some evidence of compliance that's required for each of those countries. You'll need to provide a fully compliant and locally languaged packaging artwork file some of the mistakes that we've seen on that pretty I mean to you and I being British would be pretty common and obvious but to a US brand forgivable and less obvious so really obvious things to us like labeling your product a dietary supplement instead of a food supplement there's also uh if you're a US brand coming to the EU or the UK you very rarely can kind of retrofit your existing health claims because our system um, just works very differently to the one in the US. Um, There's obviously a predefined list of authorised health claims that you can make. So instead of trying to retrofit what you currently, the claims that you currently make on PAC to the EU and the UK markets, you really need to find out what are the claims that you can make and then make them work for your product. Um, So that's another thing that we see just health claims, often implied health claims as well, like in a product name that maybe haven't been picked up on or considered fully. Um, And then the second piece of evidence that varies slightly depending on which country you're launching into, um, for France, Italy and Spain, Uh, that's a pre-market notification which is a legal requirement in any case Uh, but Amazon need evidence that you have completed that Um, and the common mistake I guess you could call it that we see with that is just a lack of knowledge around that system and that process so too often brands will try to launch get asked for this documentation and then the first question is like like, I don't even know what this is your best bet is speaking to someone like ourselves who not only know that requirement but we complete pre-market notifications for brands all the time so we really know the system and how it works for germany the uk uh, and the netherlands amazon will ask for one of three things either a gfsi certification which is the global food safety initiative so things like uh, brc and that's of the manufacturing facility where the product has been produced that is occasionally um an issue for us manufacturers because it isn't always a standard that they are routinely audited to it can also be uh, an issue for european manufacturers because food supplements as you know it's a weird and wonderful industry um, and how people get into the industry is often quite interesting too uh, so if i was to kind of broadly categorize food supplement manufacturers on the one hand you have food manufacturers, traditional food manufacturers who then decide to go into food supplement manufacturing. Those um, cases are more likely to have GFSI certification because it's so commonplace in the food industry. The second classification of manufacturers would be um, medicinal or medicine manufacturers who then venture into food supplement manufacturing And those ones are less likely to have gfsi certification because as a business they haven't needed it up to that point however another requirement or another document that amazon will accept is a gmp certificate and that is more commonly uh i guess accessible for the u.s brands and also for the uk and european brands who have come from a medicine background more often they're more likely to have that in place and finally the the third Um, document that they will accept is a HACCP that's been uh, approved by a certified third party. HACCP is the uh, hazard analysis and critical control point so it's a standard again within the food industry. Amazon will check that your specific product format was included within the scope of that audit so it's not enough that your manufacturing facility has been audited to that standard, the actual uh, manufacturing process that relates to your product must also have been included within the scope of that audit. That's something that we see that's surprisingly common.
0: You've mentioned before uh, that you use e-commerce accelerators. Can you tell us a bit about those, what they are and, and why you recommend them?
1: Amazon has broadly speaking two business models 1p and 3p 1p is where amazon effectively buy the stock from brands and then sell it 3p is slightly different because they they actually never buy or own the stock they just allow third-party sellers to sell through their platform and use their network accelerators are a type of third-party seller who effectively buy stock from brands and then sell it on Amazon's marketplaces across the world. Um, And the reason why they can be quite beneficial to work with is because uh, e-commerce is intrinsically kind of complicated. What, What the consumer sees is incredibly simple, and I think that's been a big part of their success. But when you start to think about the millions of different products that they sell... And actually, when you search for a product, if you ever stop to think like, what is it that's making the products on that first page appear on that first page? You'd never think of that as a consumer. Um, But if you're a brand, it's super important, because if you're not on that first page, how likely are you to even be seen by the consumer? Much less likely. So accelerators are really good at just doing all of that for you. And they can also handle shipping and distribution and everything like that. The one thing that they typically don't handle is regulatory compliance, but that's where a partner like Rubicon Bridge could come in and be really useful for you.
0: And so how much will using an accelerator impact your margins?
1: Um, So undoubtedly it will because they are reselling your product. Um, So obviously they're a business, they need to make profit, they they need to make margin on everything that they sell. But... It's worth looking at the alternative because Amazon are also a business and they also need to make a margin on everything that they sell. I say it's worth looking at the alternative because the alternative, you're likely to have to hire internal resource. And there's kind of two catches with that. On the first one, e-commerce experts are pretty well sought after. So it's not going to be an entry level position if you if you really want to nail it. It also might be a whole team. My only, I guess, thing that I would add to that. Is that some of these accelerators are proven to be very good at selling on Amazon um, and any e-commerce team that you build internally as yet will be unproven so it's kind of less of a risk in that respect.
0: Okay so the US and the UK are huge markets so beyond that what what countries are supplement brands really interested in targeting and, and really going to want to target?
1: So for US brands coming to Europe, the three countries that they tend to uh, prioritise is, as as you mentioned, obviously the UK, Um, and then Germany, and Germany and the UK are actually roughly kind of the same size in terms of Amazon's platform. The third one is Italy. Um, And then after that, in terms of priority, because if you're 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 kind of you kind of have to plan for the future so you have ideally you just have one product that you're going to label for all of those markets and you only really want to touch it once you don't want to have to redo the label or incur costs down the line so we would normally recommend that you would do amazon's six major eu markets which is the uk germany italy france spain uh, and the netherlands but you, you kind of need to know going into that that The volumes in France and Spain and the Netherlands are not significant compared to Italy, Germany and the UK, but they are um, compared to those markets relatively new for Amazon um, and they're growing. So our recommendation would be to just kind of get ready to be in all the countries at one time, because at some point down the line, it's likely that those marketplaces will continue to grow and actually be quite a big opportunity for your brand.
0: Okay, brilliant. And in terms of what countries are the sort of toughest to get into from a regulatory point of view, um, could you tell us about that?
1: So there's a couple of different ways to look at this. One of the things that we always look at and is tough from a formulation perspective is upper levels. And I think it's fair to say that Germany probably has a lot of the lower levels. So from that perspective, they tend to be quite tricky to get into. However, we do have mutual recognition within the EU. You do have the option to notify in France, for example, first, and then provide that as evidence as part of your German notification. That's something that you could look into. In terms of who is kind of the most critical when they're looking at your pre-market notifications, it's probably fair to say that it's France. Um, They have a lot of their own mandatory warnings. They tend to be first to or they have been first in the past to go um, forward with banning certain ingredients. They were the first to ban titanium dioxide, for example, years before the rest of Europe followed. Um, So they just tend to be a bit trickier in that regard.
0: Brilliant. Thank you for that. And just finally, then, is there any other sort of critical advice that you think... Nutrition brand should know if they're looking to get onto the Amazon platform. Um, Perhaps any warnings or pitfalls that you can warn them against.
1: I think in general, I would just say um, the information is out there. So if you have the time and you have the expertise internally, you can absolutely pull pull together that information and build a plan around that. Um, What I will say is that it's not exhaustive to national regulatory requirements. So they will say things like you have to comply with national regulations, they won't state what those are. Um, So you kind of need to know both. Um, the, The easiest thing and obviously It will sound like obvious that I would say that as it's a service that we provide, but really would recommend speaking to a regulatory expert that has experience with launching in those countries and launching in those countries for Amazon, because if you don't know, then you don't know. um, And it's really hard to plan for that.
0: Great. Thank you so much um, again, Lee, for this very insightful conversation. I'm sure our listeners will have found it very useful.
1: Thank you very much for having me back again.